Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome, everyone, to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. Joining me on our show is Michigan State Hall of Fame coach Tom Izzo. We're going to get his opinion on our unprecedented times with social injustice being exposed within the United States, the hope to right hundreds of years of wrongs, the awakenings on college campuses. At the same time, we're all dealing with COVID-19. And then, as we have for the past five weeks with North Carolina's Roy Williams, Syracuse's Jim Beheim, Florida State's Leonard Hamilton, Auburn's Bruce Pearl, and West Virginia's Bob Huggins, we will have Tom Izzo fill out his dream player. I'm going to give him 10 categories. Playmaker, clutch, athlete, defender, rebounder, shooter, bucket getter, glue guy, basketball IQ, and team captain. And he'll give me his answers. And then we'll run my conversation that I had last week with all six Division I men's basketball coaches in the state of Mississippi. They all had a hand in helping push through last week the changing of the divisive state flag that had the Confederate flag within. I mean, it's crazy that it has taken this long to get rid of the Confederate symbol, a reminder, they lost the war. But it has, after major athletic threats from athletes, the SEC, and the NCAA, to change or players wouldn't play and championships wouldn't be held in the state. Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves signed the legislation to change the flag last week. And of course, my cat's ranks. In honor of the great league guards in Michigan State history, I'll do a top 10 playmakers since 2011, and this was a very tough list. So first off, my conversation with Michigan State head coach Tom Izzo. And now joining me here, March Madness 365, the Hall of Famer from Michigan State, Tom Izzo. And uh, Tom, before we get to your dream player, uh, which I want to sort of put together for you, I, I want to discuss the last month because um, we're living in unprecedented times and so I want to get your thoughts on just what you have felt this last month uh, has been like uh, and why, um, you know, we're seeing student athletes be empowered like never before. You have spoken out on social media. Uh, you have felt the need to do that as well. Uh, we've got unprecedented issues going on right now between a global pandemic to the murder of George Floyd, which elicited rallies and protests, and really the awakening to the social injustice that we've seen for centuries? Well, you know, I, I uh, like everybody, I mean, you're never too, too old to get educated. And I, uh, one of the things that hit me is, as I was looking at the Colin Kaepernick thing uh, more recently, about a month ago, I I thought of the kneeling and the no pro the, the protest, but not a violent protest. And you see all the violent protests, which I'll, I'll still never agree with. I'll understand some of it, but I won't agree with it. But as I look at Kaepernick, you know, taking a knee and this and that, and I kind of remembered back to my days 
uh, in junior high school and even high school and even a little bit college, you know, back in the Woodstock hippie days, uh, be honest with you, more drug infested at the time. And, and I remember Vietnam war and here's all these American white people burning flags. So now I'm talking about kneeling in a flag and maybe upset about that because you're disrespecting the flag or the, you know, the military. And then I'm looking at my era, we're burning flags, you know, and, so it just made me just sit back and press that pause button that we've all had to push during this time and say, wait a minute, there's a lot of things that I don't truly understand. Uh, the nice thing about being home, I was able to call all my former players, you know, and try to get opinions. The guys like Steve Smith, Gregory Kelso were very helpful in the team and Cleves and, uh, you know, but I talked to, you know, Denzel and Miles and, um, you know, Gary Harris, just the guys that are having the league and getting a better uh, idea of what some of them went through. Then my players came back to campus. I got a chance to talk to them, and I just realized how hard and uncomfortable it is to talk about uncomfortable things and uh, and yet how sad that is because, uh, you know, I, I've got to do a better job and, uh, and will, and we've got to do a better job. And, uh, you know, it's been very helpful. My one assistant, Mike Garland has been really helpful on things. And so in the long run, you know, uh, I think Mike said it best to me, you know, people just, all, all we need to do is treat people like we'd want to be treated. And that's true. I mean, people, but also hold people accountable. You know, this stuff that's happening where, where people are getting off things because of different, aspects of hiring processes and that you know i mean how could a police officer have 18 violations and still be one while somebody's saving them you know or uh, even in the teaching world or you know uh you know it's almost like once you get tenure you're untouchable you know i think those are the things that we should be still held accountable and you andy and your job and me and my job we're held accountable to a certain standard if we don't perform at that standard we're out you know, and uh, and I think you can look at uh, those things and we got to do a better job as a country that, you know what, treat people like you're supposed to be treated, hold people accountable, what they're supposed to be held accountable for. And if you make a mistake, yeah, you're always going to get a second and third chance. But let's not make the same mistake 15 times like I'm starting to see in some of these things. It's ridiculous. You know, I was thinking, Tom, back to really – you go back to when you were an assistant, you're recruiting. I mean, you have recruited in some seriously hard hit areas yeah, uh, in the state yeah. of Michigan where you've seen the systemic racism. Yes. Um, and that, I mean, there's no bias here. It's real. You've seen it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, now the, hopefully the rest of the country is waking up to it. But from your experience, from recruiting in hard hit areas and, you know, basically parts of this country that, that have been sort of left behind and, and have not been rebuilt or have not had the, the funding and the educational imbalance from one school system to another in different parts of the state of Michigan. Um, what, what's that experience been like for you in terms of, you know, recruiting in those areas? Yeah. Well, I think the saddest thing that Mike and I talk about was, uh, you know, back when I was in uh, junior high school in the 68, 69, the riots and in Detroit were so bad. And, uh, 
you know, Andy, and you've been there a million times yourself. Well, you drive through Detroit. Uh, you know, Dan Gilbert has done an unbelievable job cleaning up the place. But there's still, there's areas where you look at that there's still burnt buildings and boarded up. And so that's now, uh, just say the 70s, not 50 years ago. So when I see some of the looting and the things going on, it, it saddens me because they're in areas uh, of our African-American communities that may not come back. Uh, you know, for years and years and years. That part's sad. When I look at, well, why is that happening? Well, it's like uh, scolding your kid, you know. If you tell them to do something once and twice and then years go by and, you know, in their case, decades and centuries. And, um, you know, you, you get tired of saying it. And, and things get to the point where they uh, they don't – they don't uh, – you know, nobody listens. And, and, you know, we do it for a month and then we're right back to normal. And, you know, I've had an interesting life in that respect, uh, you know, and, and I think you could adhere to this. I mean, uh, there's a lot of different minorities. I mean, I, I look what the Jewish world went through on some things way back. And I look at my wife's Hispanic. I look at what the Hispanic community has gone through and uh, to see the but the slavery part of this and uh, all the things that are such deep wounds, as you guys have gone through some things, too, that it just makes you open your eyes and appreciate that, you know, this isn't right. And the wounds are deep. So we've got to be uh, a lot more uh, understanding and 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 talk about them you know that's what i tell my players we got to talk about the uncomfortable things because i think everybody feels the same way about a lot of stuff and uh i just want to help change it i do see it changing though because i've seen white people black people hispanic people jewish people people of every race creed and color marching together uh especially on the the protests that have been uh you know, uh, the real, the calmer protests, um, there just seems to be a unity uh, through our young people. And that's why I see this as different than maybe other times. You know, one other last part of this, and I think back to Flint and, you know, obviously predominantly uh, African-American area was hit by the, you know, the water crisis. Right. Um, and you wonder, like, you know, would would, would the would the country, the state, acted quicker if it was a predominantly white area? Yeah, you know that's a great point. And uh, you know, I, I I was a big part. I went up there and did some things, and uh, some of my players, like Mateen and Morris Peterson and Charlie and those guys, got involved. Hell, I went up there and uh, coached the. Uh, an exhibition game that Snoop Dogg played in. So, I mean, people rallied, but rallied kind of late, you know, and and uh, I do ask those same questions, uh, you know, and I, I know people, I mean, everybody, you know, has problems. Everybody's gone through tough times, but I, I think our eyes and ears needed to be awakened. And, and when you look at the George Floyd thing, um, I don't care what nationality you are. I don't care what color you are it, it had a sicken everybody like it sickened me i mean it just there's no reason for it you know or the shooting in in uh 
Atlanta, you know, when they already knew the guy had no gun on him, you know, like, like George, nothing on him. Um, it just seems like that part of it, those people need to be held accountable for. Sometimes we blame everybody for what an individual does. Those people need to be held accountable. And I think that's, that's where we got to start. Um, all right. So before I do this hard transition into your dream player, um, the other thing that's been floating out, obviously, uh, not floating out, I mean, it's pervasive, um, you know, is COVID-19. Uh, so how have, how have you, your players, how have you been handling that at the same time all this is going on as they're back on campus? The, you know, there's this awareness now of injustice, this awakening, you know, this empowerment of student athletes and students to speak out. Uh, at the same time, we're going through a pandemic. Well, you talk about an interesting, perfect storm. But, you know, the one place it's been a perfect storm is we at least have time to talk. When my players got back, I had a meeting outside my arena, social distance, wearing masks, and just talked about all these things. You know, uh, we're seeing right now, uh, you know, we're the young kids. You know, I'm I'm all for giving young kids the ability to speak, but I'm I'm still saying I think sometimes we're giving too many young kids too much because I couldn't handle money and fame and and pandemics and all the things that these kids are going through, and I think that's hurt a little bit. You know, I mean, I'm all for the 18 to 22 year olds. I got two kids in that area, but I'm also realizing that. You know, I got a job because young kids need direction. And sometimes I think we almost give too much power. I think we got to do what I tell my little campers and uh, seven, eight, nine-year-olds, you know, learn to listen, listen to learn, you know, learn to listen to people, but listen to learn something. And I don't think a lot of people do that anymore. You know, we're not focused in on people. And and so um it's been an interesting time. I've tried to each week. I've tried to take a different topic. I'm, I'm now starting to have some former players, you know, chime in on Zoom calls. That's uh, I got uh, got a guy named Eric Thomas, a big time motivational speaker, that is going to speak to our kids next week. I'm trying to pick something every week, and I'm trying to make sure I tell my white kids we got to listen. We got to be part of this. You know, it's it's an issue that I think um, coaches. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a white coach in a predominantly African-American sport, uh, predominantly, and and uh, we've got to stand up a little bit and uh, and get everybody where everybody's treated as equal as it can be and everybody uh, is held accountable like they should be. And if those two things happen, I, I think uh, things are going to change on these campuses and hopefully for a lot better reasons. All right, hard segue here. We've done this now. This is week six. Uh, last five weeks, Bruce Pearl, Leonard Hamilton, uh, uh, Roy Williams, Jim Beheim, uh have all... Wow, that's uh, some good guys. I know. Um, have all come up with their dream player. I'm going to give you... Oh, and, and, and Bob Huggins, excuse me. That was my last one. So, uh, y- you know... This is good company here. And uh, I'll did Bob pick Mr. T as his dream player? <laughs> What's that? Uh, did Bob pick Mr. T? You know, he likes those tough guys, those big, strong guys. So I figured well, here's the Mr. thing. T. I tried to direct him that 
you know, he's coached so many great players. There's 10 categories here. Spread the wealth. He wanted to put Kenyon Martin down for every one of them. <laughs> I love it. All right, so here we go. This is in your career at Michigan State. What comes to your mind, player, when I say who's Mr. Clutch? Wow, Mr. Clutch. Um, you know, I would say that I'd have to put uh, Mateen Cleaves in that one. He wasn't the greatest scorer, but he was a he was a guy that would make everybody around him better. And uh, I think he was about his clutch. We went to him more often than not, either to score it, pass it, or put somebody in a position to score it. All right. Now, there's a couple other categories here that he might fit, so we we could still move someone around. Okay. Uh, I'll get to that in a second here. Uh, top athlete, who would it be? Top athlete? Yes. Uh, well, it's Jason Richardson or Shannon Brown, and because of his size, I go with Jason Richardson, but both of them had incredible athletic ability. But Jr. was – he just had uh, – uh, Shannon had the strength, but Jr. had the length, you know, 6'6", six, six, long, jump out of the gym. Your top shooter. Wow. Um, since I've been here as a head coach, my top shooter, you know, Denzel became one, but I'd say uh, Mars Peterson was probably one of the best shooters I had. All right, Mo Pete. Now your bucket getter. Who could just staff that? Stat stuff that stat sheet. Your buckets. Um, you know the bucket getter that could stack a, a sheet, meaning with passing, shooting, scoring, doing it all, rebounding, that kind of stuff. Is that what you mean? Yeah, I mean, you know, a guy you could say, you know what, he may get me twenty uh, volume. He's gonna go get me buckets. He's gonna go get me buckets. Um, uh, I'd say Miles Bridges was one of those guys. All right. This is going to be a hard one for you to choose. Your top defender. Uh, believe it or not, it is going to be hard for me to choose. And I would say that my, boy, you know, I got a Mateen. I got a, I've got a, a Travis Walton, but I, I got Jaron Jackson blocking shots. But I'd say my, my top defender between uh, Charlie Bell and uh, Gary Harris and I'll have to go with Charlie since he was here all four years instead of two. So on a consistent basis, I'd say Charlie Bell was an unbelievable defender. All right, your top rebounder. Top rebounder. You could always count on him to get boards. Probably my top rebounder was only a one-year guy, but I could count on him every day with Zach Randolph. All right, your ultimate glue guy. Ultimate glue guy could be Mateen, but I would say... Since he started my career out and really kind of set the the tempo was Antonio Smith. In fact, we have a, a glue and guts award, and it's named after him. All right, now these last three. This is where I could see you maybe moving a team, but we'll see here. Um, so I will give you the last three and think about this. You've got your quarterback, okay? You've got your highest basketball IQ, and you've got your team captain. Oh, holy mackerel. Well, my best team captain had to be Mateen. So if I have to move him, I have to move him. Uh, If I looked at team captain, my best quarterback, you know, he could be in there too. So could Denzel, but I'd say Cassius Winston was my, 
most solid quarterback that could run a team, score it for you, um, shoot it, uh, make plays. Uh, he did what you want a quarterback. He was a playmaking quarterback. And the third one was what now? IQ. Oh, IQ. Oh. Wow. I, 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 you know, I still think if I looked at overall IQ, as much as Mateen and uh, Cassius and Denzel were, I think that's where Draymond is overall IQ offensively and defensively. I mean, he used basketball IQ on the defensive end. He positioned himself. He found rebounds. Uh, he used his basketball IQ and has done an incredible job in the NBA doing the same thing. All right, so... We got Mateen in two places. I know there's a couple of guys here. I hope they don't get offended in, in Smitty and Denzel that have not had a home yet. Do we put one of those guys as the clutch, Mr. Clutch? And Steve Smith? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Well, you know, Steve, I was an assistant when he was here. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. So I can't call him. But I, uh, the Mr. Clutch, I could, I definitely could go with Denzel in that. All right. Well, this would be a dream player if we could put all these characteristics together at Michigan State, and I think Michigan State fans will enjoy debating that as well. Before I let you go, Tom, uh, I hope and pray we have a, quote, normal season. Um, You know, your biggest question mark, you could argue, as we still wait to see what's going to happen on August 3rd with Xavier Tillman and Aaron Henry, but even regardless of those decisions, we'll be at the point. Uh, What are you thinking of that spot, and overall, what are your your thoughts on what this team could be? Well, as you know, we have Mellis see anybody and we're still recruiting one kid but uh, i'd say that overall you know uh we can foster lawyer i think will make some big strides and he's a guy that can make people better i think he's a junior now i think in rocket watts he can play more than one position and aj hoger the kid we recruited is also capable of that it won't be the same kind of point guard I mean, every one of those guys is a little different. You know, Foster's one of the better shooters. Rocket's one of the more electrifying players. And AJ's more the solid, just steady guy. But uh, I do think, um, you know, if if we get Xavier back and if we get Aaron back, which could happen, could not. But um, now we've got, you know, probably four starters back in the addition of, of Joey Hauser. Um, I think we'll find a way to get a point guard to, we don't need one to do what he did last year because I think the scoring of, of Aaron, uh, you know, Gabe Brown, I think also with Xavier being a lot better in Hauser being a electrifying three point shooter and a can post up guy. I think we have uh, actually more weapons around that can score. So if we get a guy who doesn't turn it over and take care of it. Um, that can happen. So by committee, we'll find a way to have a point guard, Andy. And if I get those guys back, I think we could be really, really, really good. And if I don't get one or two of them back, I still think we can be very good. I think there's some guys that are ready to step up. Uh, Malik Hall came on at the end of last year. Julius um, um, is, is Julius is going to Marvel is going to be a, we think, uh, kind of an unsung hero. We still got Marcus Bingham. We started half the year. So we got enough weapons, Andy. We just got to make sure we get on the court, keep everybody safe and healthy, including you, and uh, tell the people out there, wear your mask so we can get back to plan. That's right. Everyone wear their masks because we want sports coming back, and we need to do that as well. Tom, as always, appreciate you. Uh, stay safe, and hopefully we'll talk soon. Appreciate you, Andy. Take care, buddy. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. 
All right, it is time for my Cats Ranks Top 10 Playmakers since 2011. Not an easy list. This might have been my hardest list to put together. At number 10, Lonzo Ball from UCLA. Remember, this is a list based on college, not the NBA. At number nine, some might argue that he was more of a shooting guard than a playmaker, but he just helped everyone get better. I'm putting Carson Edwards of Purdue here. The same could apply at number eight, Trey Young from Oklahoma. A fantastic season that he had for one year in Norman. At number seven, Shabazz Napier from UConn, leading them to a national championship in 2014. At number six, Cassius Winston from Michigan State. Spartans got to the Final Four this past season, well, this past completed season, so that would have been 2019. At number five, Frank Mason from Kansas, an outstanding Big 12 Player of the Year candidacy from Mason. At number four, Trey Burke from Michigan, leading the Wolverines to the 2013 National Championship game and a runner-up to Louisville. At number three, John Morant from Murray State. Phenomenal NBA season with Memphis, but we're looking at college and what he did in a couple of seasons with the Racers. At number two, Jalen Brunson from Villanova won two national championships in 2016 and 2018. And at number one, top my list last week for most clutch player in the last 10 years, I'm going to put him here again. Kemba Walker from UConn. All right, engage, dispute, do everything you want to do with that list because I know you'll come after me on it. <laughs> top 10 list. Cats ranks playmakers since 2011. All right, here's my conversation with the six Division I men's coaches in the state of Mississippi, Ole Miss's Kermit Davis, Mississippi State's Ben Howland, Jackson State's Wayne Brent, Southern Miss's Jay Ladner, Alcorn State's Landon Bussey, and Mississippi Valley State's Lindsey Hunter. It has been a historic week in the state of Mississippi, and these six coaches, these six schools, among many other athletics uh, representatives from schools across the state of Mississippi, as well as countless other lobbyists, did a wonderful thing and got the state legislature, the governor, to open their eyes to changing the state flag in the state of Mississippi. Um, I'm going to go first to the natives of Mississippi because they've lived and breathed, the, breathed this uh, for a lot of their lives. And so I want to start with you, Kermit. Um, a native of Leakesville, Mississippi. So growing up with this flag flying in countless, I'm sure, times in your life above you, what were your first thoughts about the state flag of Mississippi with the Confederate flag within it? It's never been right. You know, Andy, I was in the state, I think I was in the third or fourth grade when the schools were integrated. Uh, it's kind of funny, you know, my dad was on the 59 team uh, Mississippi State that wasn't allowed to go to the NCAA tournament because there were black players in the tournament. So we've I've seen it obviously from a white man's perspective and not as a as a black man growing up in Mississippi, which is different. Uh, but it never felt right, and because uh, it didn't represent the citizens of our state. And so uh, it, it was a great day for all of us to come together uh, to kind of see a change that's been needed for a long, long time. Lindsay, you're from Utica, Mississippi. What about you? Well, growing up, uh, my father at a real early age taught me about, you know, all the different uh, the racial differences and, and things like that. And born in Jackson, uh, raised in Jackson, going to a Jackson school, you know, 
living in Utica, we saw every facet of it. And, and uh, Kermit, no knock to you, but my father wouldn't even take the calls from Ole Miss because they had the flag up. You know, so there was there wasn't even an opportunity for me to go play at Ole Miss because my father was like, no, we're not even talking to them because of the flag. And and when I understood, I'm like, wow, Dad, it, it means that much. And you know, my family was big into reading, so they made me research and start learning about you know the different things that happened and, and what the flag meant to certain people. And, and it was just a divisive, always been a divisive thing in our state to me. And um, I, I just frowned upon it. I love being from Mississippi, but that's one thing that I've always frowned upon and, and always was wondering how we could get rid of it. And I'm just so happy that we finally start making the right steps. Wayne, you're from Jackson and now the head coach of Jackson State. You know, it is like, you know, just like uh, Lindsay said, uh, growing up in Jackson, it, it was always there. It was always a problem. Uh, the people that you were around every day because they, they looked like we looked, uh, it, it became a topic of conversation all the time. And then, it, you know, it, it just went on for so long that sometimes you just got immune to it and you just, you know, it, it is what it is and that's the way it's going to be. And I think sometimes you accepted that. Uh, and, and then we, you know, fast forward and, and where we are today, you know, I think it's a, a giant, giant step in the right direction, you know, with all the coaches coming together to, to, to get changed. Jay, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you're from Picayune. Um, and, and went to Southern Miss. How about for you? Yeah, born in Picayune, uh, a little bit similar to Coach Coach Davis. Both of our dads were high school coaches, and um, I'm a little bit younger, although Kermit's holding his age pretty good. Uh, my dad coached during integration prior to and then did integration, so he had a very unique perspective on coaching an all-white team and then not long after that, a mostly black team. So uh, I have to give my parents credit. Um, uh, we were raised in a in a very Christian home, and we were we were told and, and taught to make sure that you looked at everyone with and treated everyone with dignity and respect. And it didn't matter what color they were. And uh, never heard in our in our home uh, 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 racial type words that were divisive. So I have to give my family a lot of credit, and they made sure that we. That's and I feel like that has been a reason that. Uh, that I've had uh, great relationships. Uh, and when I went to Southern Miss, obviously uh, there weren't a lot of guys <laughs> like Coach Brent just said, there weren't a lot of guys that looked like me on the team. And uh, But those guys were brothers, and, and you just learn to see things in a different perspective. And uh, it's an exciting time, certainly, for our state. Now, Landon, I know you didn't grow, grow up there, nearby Louisiana, but um, what were your emotions uh, with the state flag of Mississippi? Well, I think that, you know, first and foremost, I think that it's taking steps towards unity, um, you know, not only for the state of Mississippi, but, you know, throughout the nation, you know, all the stuff that's going on in the world. So, you know, when, you know, all the coaches and, you know, our blood directors came together last week, I thought that was a great idea to, you know, go down there and, you know, show support for one another. But, you know, with the flag coming down, I think that, you know, that's also will help with recruiting, help with, you know, different type of barriers that we were faced with. But I think it's a great idea and I'm supportive 100%. Ben, coming from California, I mean, you've coached all over the country, the Northeast, out West. Um, but I'm curious, when, when you came to Mississippi and this issue maybe wasn't at the forefront, but it was still sort of hanging out there, uh, what was your sort of first introduction to this issue of this state flag? First of all, I'm thrilled that it's finally changed. It was long overdue, needed to be done. It's great for the state. 
moving forward in so many fronts. I remember being really bothered by it. I was sitting here in downtown Starkville at Mugshots, and across the street from the county courthouse, we have recruits at Mugshots, and I'm looking at the Confederate flag. I thought I was in a Twilight Zone episode. I mean, it's like, what, what is this? It really, and I really expressed that to a lot of people. And uh, so I was just so thrilled that this was finally changed. You know, we have the highest percentage of, uh, you know, African-Americans living in any state in the country here in Mississippi. Forty percent of the state is black. And I mean, I'm so happy for all of them, uh, number one. And it's like I said, so long overdue. It's incredibly important. Uh, And, you know, I I agree with Kermit that it doesn't really represent uh, the vast majority of the people here in Mississippi. People here, I've lived all over, just as you said. People here are so nice. They're so loving. The thing that my wife and I love so much about Mississippi is such a Christian culture. And I think that losing the Confederate part of the flag and getting new flags can help the perception from the outside. Because the perception of Mississippi from the outside is far different than the reality of being here in Mississippi, in my viewpoint. And so I'm thrilled. I think it's going to help economics. And I'm especially happy for our players because, you know, it's it's a sign of oppression. It's a sign of uh, racism and needed to be gone. And thank God it is. So I want to go around our group here. Um, Kermit, I'll start with you because there's a picture where you happen to be at the time standing in front of the podium at the state house. Uh, you know, rarely do we see in any kind of college athletics where literally everyone comes together from various institutions, all levels. And if I'm not mistaken, I think there were 46 total athletic representatives from the various schools in the state of Mississippi converging on the state house as a show of unity to influence uh, the state representatives in the house and the Senate and ultimately the governor to say, look, this needs to happen if we can go around our group here about what that day was like to see that show of unity, that empowerment that you all felt in actually literally seeing change. It was one of the most gratifying things that I've ever done in coaching, you know, to be there. And and any one of these coaches could have been out there and and delivered that message. But as a Mississippian, uh, it was, it was a great feeling. And, uh, you know, I get, we got a chance to, go visit with the Speaker of the House, Lieutenant Governor. And then we were talking to different, you know, people from the House, you know, state senators and and talking to them about their vote. And so it was, it, it gives you a, a better understanding of the political nature that sometimes we get away from. Uh, but to see it happen, because we didn't want it to go to a referendum, we needed to have change now. It, it was a great day for, for all of us. I know I called my dad coming home and he felt so proud that it was so long overdue that that he was still living. He's 84 and finally saw the flag change. I wasn't able to make it. I'm still up in Detroit, but just seeing the pictures and seeing um, all of the coaches and all of the staff and everybody together uh, standing there and, and just presenting such a powerful front was, was you know, heartfelt with me. You know, I, I was part of a um, we, we signed a petition to get this started a while ago. And it's something that I had been talking about for years. Um, so to see it come to fruition right in front of my eyes, man, was was unbelievable. Uh, it's just something that I just felt so passionate about. And um, a lot of times I'm, I'm not a politician and I really don't get into politics. I vote. That's about it. But 
I think now um, I'm learn I'm using this as a teaching tool for my players, teaching them that you know they have to be change agents. They have to understand um, we have a responsibility to impact you know our our society, and, and this is what it's all about. And we need our you know we need our our brother, our white coaches, and everybody to help us. We need allies. We can't do this alone. And that's what's so great about it to me. I just felt like it was a great, great honor to be involved. And I, I was just incredibly excited to see all of our coaches come together. There was no difference in Coach Howe and Coach Davis and Coach Brent, myself, and everybody was unified. And, and also since uh, – and Coach Davis just mentioned this and referenced it. I sensed a great amount of unity among our legislators. We have to give them credit. They, they were some of those guys were under tremendous pressure. Um, and another thing that's a very, uh, very much a positive, I kind of felt like that after it happened, I was going to catch maybe a lot of flack from a certain element of people. And it hasn't happened. I, I cannot tell you how many people, black, white, and otherwise, have reached out and said, Coach, thank you so much for what you did representing South Mississippi and our University of Southern Mississippi. Y'all did the right thing. And um, I, I've seen it, it be, which it should be, the flag was divisive, but I've seen a great unity of purpose uh, with the change. We shouldn't have had to be dealing with this in the year 2020, but we did. Um, and it needed to be changed. And it, it's just it's just a great honor to be a part of it. No, what like like the coaches have, have talked about it. I just didn't didn't know if uh, during my career, during my lifetime, that I would actually see uh, the flag change. So just to be able to be a part of that group, uh, to be able to look around and see the unity in the room, uh, you know, not not looking at skin color, whether black, brown, white, you know, whatever. Uh, just a great feeling to look at a, a bunch of young men and young women that, that came together. Uh, for, for one cause and everybody working on the, on the, on the, on the same page? Um, I think that, you know, it came down pretty fast. And they did a good job of, you know, having some urgency as making that change. So it, it shows the seriousness of the state of Mississippi. And like I said, I support it. I was happy about it. And I think that it's beneficial for everybody. You know, we had two coaches represent us in terms of speaking. Nikki McCray, our women's coach, and Kermit Davis, uh, and I thought, Kermit, you did a phenomenal job. I thought Kermit was really spot on in his comments, representing all of us. He, he did an outstanding job. And I thought Nikki did a great job, too. They were both really good with every camera in Mississippi pointed right at him. I thought they were outstanding and really represented our feelings so well as a body of coaches. I'm just thrilled, again, for everybody. I think it's going to really – you know, help all the state's universities. I think it's going to help our state. Uh, I think this is a great place. I love Mississippi. You know, I'm a California guy, as you mentioned. Uh, we have really enjoyed living here. Love the people. You know, black, white, everybody is phenomenal. Uh, and it's just a special place to be. And I think that uh, as, as the outside world gets to know Mississippi better, I think there's going to be, uh, you know, great things come from this because this was an important step in my mind. It was symbolism that needed to be changed and was changed. You know, from an athletic standpoint, the SEC, the NCAA, both saying we're not going to host championships unless it gets changed. We've seen that, you know, laws in North Carolina, Indiana, obviously the flag was flying uh, above the state capitol in Columbia, South Carolina. That changed so they could host things. But the student athlete aspect of this, 
the feeling of, you know what, I can say what I, you know, I, that, that I'm passionate about, that I can get out there. There's not going to be any kind of reprisal. I can be who I am. Uh, and my coaches are going to back me. We clearly are in a different era with that right now where student athletes are feeling empowered. Ben, I'll start with you about, you know, the empowerment of the student athlete that we're seeing here in the spring slash summer of 2020. We had a great march here in Starkville, Mississippi that our players participated in along with our coaches about three weeks ago that was phenomenal. And uh, uh, I was really proud of our guys. You know, this kind of reminds me of when I was a kid. It's the last time I can really remember where where, uh, students and athletes were really involved in important issues outside of, I want to have a nice BMW, I want to have a nice life, I want to make it the NBA. There's more to life than just that. And you're seeing our players really recognize, uh, you know, what's going on in this country and that they have a voice, that they are very important because they are in the limelight. I mean, you know, sports, athletics, and you saw it really play a role this this past week here in Mississippi where it was really important uh, to people that made the decisions that we didn't lose the ability to host championships in basketball and baseball and volleyball in all the different sports. It was a big deal that, uh, uh, you know, we we were able to continue to represent and hold championships in the state. And I think it did play a role in helping make that decision. How big a one, it doesn't really matter. It's just important. It played some role in my heart. But our players are definitely empowered. And I, I, I'm really excited about that, that they're taking more of an interest in what's going on in the world and somehow trying to be involved in it and make a difference. These are our future leaders. The young men we have in our programs right now, and the young women that are in the programs are the future leaders of this country. So it's great that they are engaged, they want to be engaged, and they're making a difference. I think that it's very important, the most important thing, um, you know, but, you know, SEC to start, you know, for the Mississippi native kids, they actually get to have the opportunity to play in front of their family and friends closer to home when they start to, you know, have championships down here. And I also think that it helped with our recruiting at this level, just because, you know, a lot of um, parents, they might have been hesitant about, you know, bringing, letting their kids fly down from Baltimore or New York to Mississippi. But I think that it's showing change and like the unity and, you know, the steps it's making in Mississippi to, you know, head in the right direction. You know, I think it's very important for the, for the kids to understand that they have some say-so, they have some input. Uh, you know, in my neighborhood, where I'm from, every day we, we sit outside and, and, and I talk to these guys, whether they go to Ole Miss or whether they go to Mississippi State uh, or, or wherever, Southern Miss. I remember back in 1998 when I went to, uh, to Ole Miss with three, three kids from Provine High School right out of, out of the hood, uh, in the, in which they were the Provine Posse at the time. And it, it wasn't the, the most appealing thing to do. And, you know, the kids took so much flack from doing it. Why do you want to go there? Why do you want to play for a place that has a flag? But, you know, you, you have to talk to them. You have to be open with them. And now to see that 20, 25 years uh, uh, down the road and, and now that they have a voice, uh, I think it's important for them because, you know, on Saturday night or Saturday afternoon, they're the one who's running the football or uh, getting a big rebound and everybody cheering for them. And then they – you know, the thing that they come to me with is why on Sunday is different. And I, I think that's something that's, that's, that's talked about in, in the place that, uh, from the people that where I'm from. There, there's just so much more to coaching than X's and O's. 
And, and, and a coach that doesn't understand that or a person that doesn't understand that, in my opinion, is not a coach. And then obviously at the Division One level, we're at, we're at a much higher platform. And it's, it's our responsibility and duty and our players. And I think if they see us take the right stand, and we haven't had our players on campus, as you and I discussed, or we all discussed before the, the panel began, but it's, it's the same thing. We've been involved. We've had uh, uh, rallies, uh, uh, marches, and, and so forth, and obviously had the, the great honor of being in Jackson last week. So there's just more to coaching basketball, or really any sport for that matter, than the X's and O's. And social justice is obviously right up there. Top. That's what the Lord wants us to do. We all bleed red when it comes down to it. Uh, it and, and, and when our time is called and, and we have to stand in front of the Lord, it's, it's going to be that. How did we treat our fellow man? And so it, it's an exciting time, and I, I know our players are in power. They're they're excited. It makes them feel better. Like Wayne said, they didn't have they didn't feel good just on game nights when everybody's patting the shoulder. Now they can feel a sense of belonging uh, because we don't have the flag of oppression over us. Yeah, I think the empowerment of our athletes goes it dates back to Muhammad Ali and uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And I think with the latest of, of Colin Kaepernick bringing so much attention to social injustice, it just opened everybody's eyes to understand that you guys do have a voice. You know, you guys aren't just basketball players and football players. That's what you do. It's not who you are. And my father always made that a point when he talked to me and he was raising me. You know, basketball is what you do. Never let it be who you are. Because one day that ball is going to stop bouncing and you have to be able to you know, function in society and be a viable source in society. And I think, you know, these guys taking a stance and understanding that, you know, there's power in athletics, that there, there's power in what you do and you can make change uh, because of what you do, you know, and, and, and the character that you possess. Uh, and a lot of these guys, you don't get to see, you know, under that helmet, you know, after the, the Sundays and they don't get to see our guys out of the uniforms participating in marches and leading, uh, you know, their peers to, to make social change. And it's a, it's a great time in life where we get these young guys who we thought were so preoccupied with video games and cell phones, you know, they, they actually get it. And, and I, that's what I'm so proud about and happy about that. They understand. Uh, a lot of times we talk to our kids, you know, I have kids that are younger that I talk to and they're on their phone and you don't think they get it. But now seeing the, the protest and the, the articulate, the articulate kids that are getting out speaking and, and making a difference, man, it just makes you feel good inside. And, you know, change in Mississippi has changed everywhere. Yeah, and, and I, I totally um, agree with Lindsay. I don't think we've ever had a younger generation more informed, smarter. Think about how much more exposed they are than we all were. And I know I'm, I'm 60 years old, you know, because of social media, that they, they see it day in and day out. You know, I, I love that. I think it's made me to make us all better listeners because we know our players do have a platform that really matters. And, and I remember when Muhammad Ali took the stance and that was a strong stance because it wasn't a very popular stance, you know, and he was the, the greatest athlete uh, in the world. So it, it makes you feel really good. And the last thing I'll say, Andy, what, you know, in my lifetime, the biggest thing that has made me feel good about our young people and young generation is the marches and to see young white America unite with young black America. And to me, that that's a good feeling. We're not where we need to be, but that is a great, great start that they're, they're together. And so, you know, our future generations are going to take this and, and, and I think go forward in a great way. 
Well, first of all, I appreciate all of you uh, and everything that you've done, continue to do uh, in this crazy time of 2020. It was so wonderful to have some good news. Uh, and all of you uh, help represent positive change in the state of Mississippi. I wish you all well, stay safe, and hopefully we're going to be talking hoops here in a few months. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening this week. We'll be back again next week. And a thanks to our Turner Sports team, Chad Acock, Michael Kaplan, Abby Stoltz, and Sean Bartley. Stay safe, everyone. Stay safe, everyone.